Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the On The Run podcast. My name is Devin Dorn. Alongside me, as always, my friend and co-host, Aiden Stanky. Dorney, episode 11. I'm fired up to be here. It's going to be a good one. Special. Let's get right into it. Aiden, it's always special when we get to gather around, especially in person, and record a podcast. But today it's extra special because we have our second guest of the show here today. He is a man of science. He knows his basketball, and he is also my former high school basketball coach, Mitch Buffy. Buffy, welcome to OTR. Boys, super excited to be here. Thanks for having me, and I'm excited to talk some hoops. Let's do it. On today's show, we will discuss Kevin Durant's Game 5 masterpiece against the Milwaukee Bucks. Then we'll get into Game 6 a little bit and what Game 7 has in store for Bucks Nets. Then we will talk about the state of the Western Conference. There's been a lot of injuries, some COVID stuff. We'll get everyone's opinion on who's coming out of the West. After the break, we're going to talk some unpopular NBA opinions. They don't necessarily need to be about just this year. Uh, you know, any time in the NBA, some just some unpopular opinions. And finally, we all have drafted 1 to 10, the best players in the 2021 playoffs. If we could choose to build a team around next year from 1 to 10, who would we pick? All that and more. It's coming at you right now on the On The Run podcast. We begin with one of the best playoff performances I've ever seen. Uh, I've probably only been watching basketball regularly since about 2010. This for sure made the top three or four games individual performances I've ever seen, especially considering uh, just how important this game was. Of course, we're talking about Kevin Durant's Game 5 48 minutes, played the entire game. He scored 49 points, had 10 assists, 17 rebounds, 16 for 23 shooting to almost single-handedly beat the Milwaukee Bucks and take that pivotal game five to go up three to two. Uh, no Kyrie in this game. He was out with that hurt ankle. Uh, James Harden gave it a go. The guy could barely jog. Uh, he wasn't even close to the guy that we know James Harden is. He shot one for 10 from the field. Uh, Buffy, I'll turn it to you first. What Just overall, what did you think of Durant in this game? Was it the best game of Kevin Durant's career? We know he had a couple big games in the finals when he was on Golden State. He had a couple big nights as a Thunder. Uh, but was this his best game ever? What did you think of Durant? Uh, yeah, it was nothing short of fantastic. I think any, anything you want from a basketball player in a basketball game, you, Kevin Durant gave it to us. I mean, it was just pure entertainment. In, in terms of all-time playoff performance, honestly, it has to be right up there. I mean, some of these performances I know that we haven't seen, not even myself being a little bit older, but, you know, the MJ flu game comes to mind. The Bill Russell 30.40 rebound performance in Game 7 of the, I think, 1982 finals. Um, 
like LeBron James game six against the Celtics in 2012, game five in 07 against the Pistons, like these all-time performances. Um, what is crazy, even uh, his performance really made me think about, I think, what was the performance of the playoffs last year in the bubble, which was uh, Doncic, uh, Luka Doncic over the Clippers, where he uh, he had 43, or he had something ridiculous, like a 40-point triple-double and the game-winner uh, step back that uh, that was just insane. It really, really made me think of that, and I think right now it's so far the the performance of the playoffs, and probably will be. Aiden, what did you think of Durant? Do you believe it was the best game of his career? And I, I like how Buffy had a few comparable games in there. Um, you know, it's tough to compare a game that was this good to anything else. But is there anything you can think of that he left off that list? No, I think Buffy hit it. Bang on the head there. Uh, he's right up to the top uh, in best playoff performances individually that the that the association's ever seen. Uh, like Tony, you read those numbers like 49, 17, and ten. Three steals, two blocks, and didn't didn't take a second off the floor. I mean, in today's NBA throughout the regular season, and there's so many like you know load management, and it's it's unheard of right now in the NBA that that players are are like playing the entire game. Um, so I. Uh, to me, I think that was one of the best performances that the NBA has ever seen individually. Uh, and, yeah, I, I think it's safe to say that it is arguably Kevin Durant's best individual performance that, that he's ever played in a league. And, Dorney, you know this. I hate Kevin Durant. He's, he's my least favorite player in the NBA. But I have never once – I've never once doubted how good he is. I can't stand him, but he he's one healthy eye, in my opinion – in my opinion, I think he's the second best player in the league when healthy behind LeBron when he's healthy. I think that's a I think that's a pretty fair statement, but you know, that's up for discussion too. But um I I've never doubted how good he is and he just proved it right here. But I think what made this game or th- this uh this performance in this game just so spectacular was was the context that it was in. I mean, two two, game five, James Harden's playing on one hamstring, no Kyrie Irving, and in game three, game four, they lose in Milwaukee. Obviously, we saw last night that Milwaukee blew out Brooklyn. So, you know, Milwaukee went 3-0 at home. So they needed to win that game. And uh, for, for Durant to put the Nets on, on, on his back like he did was just spectacular. I think the knock against Durant, at least for a lot of people, uh, was that he's always had so much help. You know, in Golden State, he has Steph Curry, two-time MVP. He has Klay Thompson, you know, a top 15 guy in the league. He has Draymond Green. Um, The difference here was his co-stars are hurt or just out completely. We mentioned Kyrie and Harden. They they weren't even close to themselves. Jeff Green in this game was the other guy who really stepped up and gave Durant that little bit of extra help that he needed. Uh, 27 points. He went seven for eight from downtown. Uh, it almost reminded me of game seven against the Celtics in 2018. LeBron James playing without Kevin Love. Kyrie Irving was was out. He demanded a trade the year before. And Jeff Green really stepped up and, you know, was that second guy to LeBron. Uh, Buffy, I see you nodding your head there. Uh, did that performance also come to mind when you thought when you saw Jeff Green just absolutely raining in threes? Yeah, it's just it was kind of crazy just to see it was just this father clock, father time turning back the clock. I mean, it's crazy to think like Jeff Green and Durant were drafted in the same year, right? They were drafted, I think, to Seattle together. 
right? I think, or at least they had their start in Seattle together. It's, it's kind of just crazy and was almost just like this, this perfect full circle for both of them being in this championship caliber team and putting on great performances. Um, I, I think, you know, if the Nets didn't have Jeff Green, they'd be dead in the water because Harden didn't look good, obviously missing Kyrie. And I just don't know if those other guys are prepared for the big moments. And so, um, yeah, I just, I just think it was insane. And Jeff Green, good for him. He just, I don't know. I'm trying to think of all all time role player performances, and it's 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 tough. I'm kind of drawing a blank right now. I think it's definitely up there. Um, and, and the thing about Jeff Green that always amazes me is there's been like three different years where I thought this guy's been out of the league, and he's somehow back and still can perform in these big moments. Uh, such a weird career. He's that guy who some nights can look like just an absolute superstar and scored, you know, 30 points, have a big dunk, and then other nights you don't even know he's out there. Uh, I just made a list here of some memorable game fives in NBA history. <clears throat> Buffy, you touched on a few of them. I had Jordan's flu game against the Jazz, 1997 NBA Finals. Uh, I had LeBron against the Pistons in Detroit, 2007, scoring 29 of the Cavs' final 30 points in that one. Uh, they end up going to the NBA Finals that year. Uh, the 2018 Rockets beating the Durant Warriors. That's, of course, the CP3 hamstring game where he gets hurt and misses the rest of that series. Uh, I have the 2010 the Lakers beat the Suns in Game 5 of the Western Conference Finals. Kobe Bryant puts up a three. I think it airballs. Ron Artest grabs the rebound, puts it back with no time left on the clock, and they end up winning that game and ultimately the series. Uh, and then finally, I have uh, 2016 Finals down 3-1 at Oracle. LeBron and Kyrie both have 41 points to keep their season alive. Um, Gentlemen, Aiden, I'll go to you first. Do any of those performances stand out to you, are memorable to you? Uh, and do you have any more Game 5s that, uh, you know, stick out in your mind? I know it's tough just off the top of your head, but, uh, yeah, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, it's a tremendous list you, you got there, you you and Buffy both. Um, I don't I don't think I really have anything to add on to that. Those are all some of the best performances, especially in Game 5, obviously. Those were Game 5s, but some of the best performances ever that came five in Oracle for me, especially obviously being a LeBron fan, 41 and 41 to win, to win that series. They had to win two in a row at Oracle, which was, which was impossible for so many teams and, and to win game five and game seven. Um, but yeah, game five, like you, you got to win game five in order to win and 41 and 41 from your two best players, your two co-stars is just out of this world. Um, but you know, to put this into context, you know, co co comparing it to uh, Game Five of the of the Bucks and the Nets, Jeff Green puts up twenty seven points. Blake Griffin has seventeen, and like that, that's it. Like five points, five points, nine points, two points for the rest for the rest of the Nets roster. Um, I, I don't know. This is this this performance by Durant was out of this world. Buffy, did I miss any on that list? Uh, is there anything to add, or do any of those games really stick out in your mind or super memorable for you? Uh, there was actually one game I was I was thinking about it as you guys were talking, and I feel like a bit of an idiot for not mentioning it because it was probably one of the first playoff series I ever watched. Now, it wasn't a game five, but probably one of the most impressive individual playoff performances. Um, and when you look at what was – 
the the situation, who they were up against, and who were his teammates. Game one, 2001 NBA Finals, Allen Iverson over the LA Lakers, Kobe Shaq Lakers, 48.6 assists, five steals. I think Dikembe Mutombo or something like that at the time is his his center. Eric Snow, I believe, is on the team. Uh, a young Larry Hughes, if I'm mistaken. Uh, I mean, it just came to mind. I was like, how could I forget about AI and that individual performance? I mean, they obviously went on to, to lose, but it was just in terms of individual performances. I, I, I feel a bit, uh, bit of a donkey leaving that one off the list. And correct me if I'm wrong, Buffy, but didn't the Lakers not lose a game other than that, that entire postseason run? I believe they went 16-1, and am I correct? Yeah, I think at that point that uh, ruined their 11-0 uh, winning streak in the uh, in the playoffs, if my math is correct. Uh, and yeah, that was kind of like the one little blemish on their, on their perfect record, but I think it just was a, a, a perfect nod to how good Allen Iverson was. So yeah, all, one of the all-times in my mind. Moving back to game five here for a second. Uh, one thing I have written down here is why isn't Budenholzer getting Harden involved more on defense? This guy played so much of this game uh, and and basically was just out there as a decoy. He couldn't move. He wasn't shooting the ball well. He was completely out of rhythm. And, you know, especially in that fourth quarter, the Bucks just seemed content to, you know, go to Middleton, who was matched up on KD. Like, why aren't you switching and getting this guy who's basically playing on one leg, defending one-on-one -on -one in isolation situations? He just seemed like he didn't want to make adjustments. Uh, Aiden, I'll ask you first. Did, did you notice this? Uh, Budenholzer just seemed like he wanted to run with his game plan, and regardless of what happened, he didn't want to switch it up. Why? Did, did you see the same things I did? Yeah, I, yeah, I did. I, I don't know why. Uh, it's an absolute head scratcher. Um, uh, doesn't make sense to me. But going into Game Seven, you're right. The Bucks need to attack James Harden and his and his uh, one hamstring. Like his hamstring looks awful right now. Um, he, you know, he, he's grabbing a rebound, and most times he would sprint down the floor and try and get a fast break, and he's just stopping. And Doris Burke pointed out the other night, and you know, it was tremendous from her. Um, rather than, you know, running run on the floor, getting a fast break and, you know, three-on-two opportunity, he's just stopping in his own half and waiting, looking for Durant. And just that, that's just so unlike Harden. Um, but, yeah, they need, they, need to, they need to expose this, this hamstring. Like, James Harden played 44 minutes in Game 5 and 39 minutes in Game 6. I think Harden is going to be absolutely gassed in Game 7. Um, I think the Nets are going to be gassed. Uh, Kyrie's been ruled out for tomorrow night. Um, but yeah, I, the, I was very shocked with Bootenholder's, uh, Bootenholder's decision. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be, uh, interesting to see, I think what happens in game seven with the Bucks offense. Cause they were very stagnant. They were, they were just so unlike themselves and it was frustrating to watch. Cause I want, I wanted Milwaukee to win that game so badly. And it's just frustrating to watch them play so well in the first half and then just struggle offensively in the second half, especially, uh, when, when, when Brooklyn's second best player is playing on one leg. I guess another part of this is just the Bucks' constant struggle to create any offense at the end of late of big games when it becomes that possession type basketball. That's something they've struggled with in the playoffs for a number of years now. Uh, Buffy, I'll turn it to you. Is there anything you have to add about you know them not wanting to adjust with Harden? Uh, 
their consistent struggles to 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 close out teams when the game isn't out of reach at the end of the third quarter. They just seem like they're not built for these end of game situations. And we know that if you want to win an NBA championship, you have to be good at this type of basketball. Uh, I, I think one perspective that we need to kind of consider from, and maybe we don't uh, look at too much, is from the coach's perspective. I mean, yes, it, it makes sense. Yes, let's attack Harden. Let's attack Harden. But let's look at who Steve Nash is also putting Harden on. He's guarding the Pat Connaughton's, the DiVincenzo's, the Brian Forbes of this team. Guys that, games on the line, are you going to Giannis, Middleton, Drew, or are you going to Brian Forbes? And And that's the thing. And you can put them in those screen and roll situations. And I guarantee you, Steve Natch is going to tell them, don't switch on that. We need Harden on these weaker guys that can't create for themselves so we can hide the fact that he is a weaker defender. And so I, I think, you know, when you look at it from the coach's perspective, it's a bit of X's and O's. Um, in terms of the Bucks' offense, you know what? I, I It kind of comes back to, you know, that point. Who can really create a shot from themselves? We know that Giannis, you know, he's better in transition. He's probably the best transition player in the league. Uh, but in the half court, he struggles because he doesn't have, as the kids say these days, he, he doesn't have a bag. He can't get into his bag. He has no dribble moves. He has no mid-range game. He has no three game. And I know he's working on it. Um, Middleton, he's, I don't know if he's the guy you want to rest on your shoulders when you're getting absolutely torched by KD on the other end. I just... I don't think they have those pieces to create for themselves. I think that they're just a system team and they have to rely on their systems to get them to that next possession. I completely agree with you, Buffy. And, you know, Middleton does become that guy that needs to create these shots. But Chris Middleton isn't good enough to do that consistently on the big stage, I don't think he can do that every single night. And that brings us to game six, which we should touch on briefly, because Chris Middleton in that game at home had 38 points, 10 rebounds, five assists, and five steals. He was outstanding. Giannis got his 30 and 17. Uh, Durant had 32 in the losing effort. But, you know, when Middleton plays like that, the Bucks are obviously going to be a very difficult team to beat. My question for you guys is, do you think that Middleton can be that guy every night? Like, I don't see him coming out and having near as good of a game in Game 7. If he could do that every night, or, you know, not even 38, but let's say 29 or 30 and close out games for them, uh, you know, I think the Bucks ha would have a legit shot at winning the championship every single year. I just doubt he has the consistency to do that. Aiden, what do you think? What are your thoughts on, on you know, Middleton and him having to close games for this Bucks team? Yeah, it's a valid question, but I'm he put up 38 points in game six. I'm going to ask the question, why can't he do it again? Obviously, it's going to be tougher in Brooklyn. Uh, it's, it's going to be a very loud Barclays Center, but, I mean, he, he did it once, and he, I, I can't see why he can't do it again. Um, like they, the, the Bucks need Middleton to be on top of his game because you, who knows what's going to happen with Giannis. Like, he played bully ball last game, but – in my opinion, I think he's just so unpredictable, unpredictable in the playoffs sometimes. And and uh, if if I'm might be wrong here, but is this Giannis's first game seven that he's ever played? It might be. It might be. I think it is because he played uh, in 2019. The Raptors beat, beat him in six. So I think this is Giannis's first game seven. So this is this is this. I think this is the biggest game of his career. 
and uh um you know the the map to the finals is wide open for for both these teams uh you know the the bucks they really went in all in this year uh they they traded a lot of draft picks they they traded young guys for drew holiday which i think was a great trade and doreen and i we've talked about this trade many times i think the bucks uh had to do it um you know they went all in on this year and you know if they don't get past the second round it's going to be another playoff failure um but especially with with the addition of drew holiday but middleton is 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 a great number two guy i think he's when on top of his game he's one of the best number two guys in the league um so it's going to be a really fun game to watch game seven tomorrow night saturday night but yeah i i want to see middleton play the way he did and i expect him to buffy anything to add uh on the comments aiden made about you know middleton and the bucks in general yeah, I actually am really happy he brought up, uh, of all players, uh, Drew Holiday. Um, I mean, yes, Giannis and Middleton stole the game, but let's not downplay 43 minutes, 21 points, uh, eight rebounds and five assists, and not to mention all the intangible things that don't show up on the score sheet on the defensive end. I know in previous episodes you guys have talked about how good of a defensive player he is. I mean, he earned his, I think, first team defensive honors like he is one of the best two-way point guards in the league and and I'll be honest with you um when we were I knew we were going to be maybe talking game six I didn't even think of game six I kind of went just straight to keys for game seven and from my perspective I actually have written down here Drew is the key more likely to repeat a strong game six performance than Middleton because you know for a fact on that net side, Steve Nash and his coaching staff are making adjustments to, to try and isolate and, and keep Middleton off of, out of his hot spots, off his rhythm. Look for them to actually probably attack him more on the defensive side. So he has to expend energy, get out of the rhythm, potential foul trouble, get him off the court. Shooters need rhythm, right? And if he's not on the court, you can't be in rhythm. Um, I mean... Yeah, I just don't know what this is going to look like. I had another point. I think the important part is getting transitioned. Giannis' first eight points came from defensive rebounds and transitions and, and fast break layups. I just think uh, I just think that it's, in my mind, it's kind of the Bucks game to lose. I think they have the makeup to get through this Nets team, especially with the injuries. But uh, I, I just don't know. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on this. But I actually have a question for you guys. Um, does... Does Lopez have a place in game seven? Eight points, five rebounds um, in 30 minutes. And is he a defensive liability on the court for the Bucs? I know that you're kind of the question man, but it was just kind of peeving my mind a bit. It's a great question. Uh, you know, obviously you're not going to get that rim protection uh, from Brooke Lopez. You know what, Buffy, in my mind, it's, it's, it's pretty hit or miss. You know, if he's a guy who is his three-point stroke is going, you know, he's hitting shots, he's he's getting involved under the glass. Uh, you know, Brooke Lopez can be a guy who who can definitely contribute, especially in a game set seven setting. He's obviously a veteran guy. He's been in big playoff games before. But if his shot's not going down, uh, you know, I don't know if I'd go as far as calling him a defensive liability, but he's definitely pretty close in terms of just a center who definitely has more of an offensive game. So when that's not going, I don't know if it's worth it to have him on the court. Uh, Aiden, what are your thoughts on this Brooke Lopez game seven? Well, going back to game five, Brooke Lopez got exposed by Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant late in third quarter and the entire fourth quarter, we get a high pick and roll on Brooke Lopez every time he got the ball. 
if Brooke Lopez, if he was too high, Katie would just blow right by him, get downhill, get to the hoop. But if Lopez was too low, Durant would just pull up and hit a big bucket. Uh, so I Durant completely exposed Brooke Lopez, and I think that's a fair, very fair and valid question to to ask if he's going to be a defensive liability for Game Seven. But offensively, Game Five in, in Brooklyn, he had 15 points. He shot six for ten, three for five from deep, and then, uh, but yeah, only eight, eight points, and he he didn't hit a single three pointer in Game Six at home. So it's huge question mark. Um, but I, I think I think if if you're the Bucks, like he's he's been in your starting five pretty much all year. I don't think Game Seven's at the time to change it. I think that would just um, be a recipe for disaster. But who knows? Like uh, Boone gonna have to make some some coaching decisions, and if Durant's on top of his game again and and absolutely working Lopez, who knows what's gonna happen? When I was thinking about who I would predict to win this Game Seven, you know, I originally <clears throat> I originally thought Nets because. The Bucks haven't shown all series that they can win in the Barclays Center, you know. But then looking back, is Durant going to be able to do another forty-eight minute game where he scores 49, 10, and seventeen with Jeff Green scoring twenty-seven? I just don't know with Harden at the percent he is, and no Kyrie. As Aiden said, he's already been uh, he's already been ruled out for Game Seven. I just don't think they have enough unless Durant just goes nuclear to beat the Bucks, who I think are a little deeper, a little more complete and their game, their game is more likely to transfer to a game seven. Whereas I feel like if the Nets don't shoot super, super well, uh, Milwaukee takes, takes this one, uh, Buffy, I'll turn it to you. Do you have a, a game seven prediction? Who do you got coming out of this series? Uh, my mind is telling me uh, Nets, but uh, I, I do want to say the Bucks, and um, I, I really do think I agree with what you're saying. I think in terms, if you look at role players past their main two guys, I think they are a little bit more complete. But the interesting thing that I, if you look at the box score, um, both coaches, both teams, six-player rotation, right? It's it's the playoffs. Six-player rotation, you you trust it. And like like for me as a coach, and I've been there, you know, that bench shortens up and you go to who you can trust. I mean... Um, for me, the Nets, one word, Harden, it really depends on his performance. Like he's the number two guy right now in Brooklyn. If he puts up a dud, like he did in game six, um, sorry, was it, or game five, game five, game five, game five, first, first game back. Yeah. Sorry. My apology. That was a dud. And, and I, I think it really hinges on, you know, if he can put up any sort of Harden like performance, I think that puts him over the edge. I mean. He, as soon as he came there, that was that was the oh, this is the championship team, no doubt. It's Nets versus everybody, and so I think Harden is the key to the Nets. He needs to put up something because you know Durant's going to do what Durant's going to do. So, um, but I would like to see the Bucks win because I don't know. Would like to see Giannis get close to a championship. Aiden, just before I get to you and your Game Seven prediction, Buff, you brought up a really good point. At the end of the day, here, come crunch time, come that second half, both teams are going to be playing five or six guys. That's just that's just what has to happen here. Uh, so that made me think of Dante Divincenzo, who has been hurt and has missed the majority of this playoff run with the Bucks. You know, big glue guy. Uh, DiVincenzo can knock down some shots. Uh, he plays defense. He does those little intangible things. Uh, and, and I think he would have been a part of this late game rotation. Buffy, how much do you think that the Bucks miss DiVincenzo? Uh, he averaged 
10 and a half points this year, six rebounds, three assists on 42% shooting. This guy was a key piece of their rotation all year, and they've really had to adjust without him. And I think that sometimes goes understated just because he's not a big flashy name. They're no doubt missing him. When you get a guy that's averaging 10, um, that means that, yeah, you're going to have some games where he puts up seven, but you're also going to have games where he's putting up 19, 20, 22 points. Like, no no doubt. And, and when you're on a team with former MVPs, solid role players like Middleton and Lopez and Drew Holiday, guys that have established themselves in the league, you're still a young guy. You've proven that, hey, I can handle this. I can run with you guys. You guys trust the ball in my hands. I think any single time you have a player like that on your team, regardless of where you are in the league, I, I think you definitely do miss him. I think if uh, Budenholzer could go to him over Forbes, he would. He he would go over to uh, Thanasis Adetokounmpo. He would, right? Because DiVincenzo is a little bit more proven and he's got a little bit more grit to him. I think, um, you know, they definitely miss his shooting stroke to kind of spell off some of that additional pressure on, on Middleton as kind of their lone shooter, I would say. Completely agree, Buffy. I think that was really well said. Aiden, gun to your head, game seven in Brooklyn. Who do you got? Well, that doesn't sound promising. I don't want that gun to my head. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm, I'm predicting the Bucks are going to win, um, but I would not be surprised if, if the Nets win. Um, but I think I, I mentioned it before. Um, James Harden, I think, like you said, Buffy is going to be the key. But Harden, one hamstring, 44 minutes, game five, 39 minutes, game six. Who knows what's, what he's going to have left in the tank. Um, he's, he's totally not, not played what, what uh, you know, the regular James Harden has that we've seen over the last many years uh, since he's been in the league. But um, I don't know. I, like I mentioned before, this is Giannis's first game seven. I don't know how he's going to play. Middleton's going to play. It's, it's. I think it's just very unpredictable. But I think the biggest guarantee is that we're going to see another spectacular performance by, by Kevin Durant. But is it just? Is it going to be enough? Because what happens, Thorny? We watched the end of the game, game five together. What happens if Giannis doesn't fumble that that late game pass? What happens? Do the Bucks win that game? Do they win in six? And and you know, is is this performance by Kevin Durant still still out of this world? But it comes in a losing effort, and it and still is not considered enough. Um, you know that, that that that's a key moment in Game Five that we didn't that we didn't touch on. Um, so this is going to be a really close Game Seven. I think it's going to going to go down to the last couple of possessions. Um, but yeah, I, I'm predicting I'm predicting the Bucks. Let's move out west. Um, we got news yesterday morning that Chris Paul is out with COVID protocols for an undisclosed amount of time. Uh, they don't know if he's going to miss a couple games of the Western Conference Finals, if he's going to miss the whole series, if he's going to be back for game one. We don't know. Uh, Kawhi Leonard has an ACL injury. Uh, we also don't know how long he's going to be out for, but uh, you know they said he's out indefinitely as of right now. And Donovan Mitchell in game five against... Uh, the LA Clippers was hobbling around on a bad ankle. He shoots six for 19 and clearly isn't healthy. So this leads me to my question. Um, is the Western conference wide open with all these injuries and the COVID stuff going on with these star players? Um, Buffy, I'll ask you first, which team do you think is least affected by the loss of a star and which team do you think is going to suffer most? Um, 
that's a great question, honestly, in terms of which team is least affected. Um, I think this is going to come off as completely uh, asinine, but I really do think the Suns will manage. And here's why. CP3 is not injured. He might be back in time for the, the Western Conference Finals. Devin Booker is still your 1A guy. Now, are they going to miss some leadership? Absolutely. But here's the thing that I think a lot of people uh, are, are probably thinking too, is yes, you're missing your guy, but those Suns are riding high. They swept the defending champions. Those guys are playing with a ton of confidence, a ton of energy, a ton of grit. Yes, you're missing your leader, but I think that I think Booker's ready for the moment. He's he's shown that he can make the big shots, get the leads, hold the leads, and lead that team. Um, and and if anything, I think it probably works in their favor at least for a few games, getting 36 year old Chris Paul some extra rest. Um, but I think that uh, Booker and Aiden and Crowder and and company, I, I think that they're playing with a lot of confidence, and that's dangerous. That's dangerous. And and I think one thing about that team that goes a little bit uh, underappreciated out of the teams that are left in the West, I like Coach Monty the most. I think Coach Monty is probably your best coach that's left in the Western Conference right now. Uh, nothing against Clippers and the Jazz, but I just think that he's got those guys playing as such a cohesive unit that, that they're going to be tough, that they're going to be tough to beat. Um, I mean, uh, in terms of the Clippers, uh, I'm somewhat as of a amateur leading authority on ACL injuries as I've torn my twice. Um, we'll see what kind of confidence Kawhi comes back with and when he comes back. Because uh, that's a big thing. Can I cut and explode and, and do the same things I was doing prior to this injury? Uh, is PG ready to stand up for this big moment? You know, playoff P. Yeah, he's playing better than he did last year. But that playoff P can come back at any time, right? Corner threes off the side of the backboard, you know two for 11 and a half. Like, I just, I don't know, but I, I like the Suns. And that's a bit of a Homer opinion because D-Book has been my guy since he came into the league. And I've unapologetically and unshamelessly jumped on the Suns bandwagon because they're just entertaining basketball. So I'm going Suns. Hey, do you agree with Buffy? Uh, can the Suns survive without Chris Paul for a few games? Let's say three or four, maybe even five games of the Western Conference Finals. Uh, in your mind, I know you're a Suns fan, but you know, no bias. Do you think the Suns are still by far the favorite to make it out of the West? First off, Buffy, welcome to the Suns bandwagon. It's a pleasure to have you. Uh, um, but yeah, I, I, I completely agree with everything you've said. Uh, I, I do think uh, Monty Williams, I think he was the best coach in the NBA this year. I think he, he, I think he was going to win the NBA coach of the year, but, uh, Tom Thibodeau, the New York Knicks wins it. I mean, nothing against coach Tibbs. Like he was, he was very worthy of, of that, but I, I would have given the slight edge and maybe a little bit of a homer edge to, to Monty Williams. But anyways, uh, he's, he's definitely the best coach in the league, uh, top two, whatever, um, but yeah, de definitely the best coach in the playoffs, and that is why I think uh, the Suns are going to be able to are going to be able to to ride the high that that Buffy touched on. The Suns have won seven straight playoff games in a row. They they won three in a row against LeBron James. They swept MVP Jokic and the Denver Nuggets. They've been up 15 points or more in all seven of those games. That's something that is absurd in the playoffs that you never hear of. Um, so uh, yeah, I think I think the Suns are best equipped. Uh, to move on and and the way Booker and Aiton and playing and are playing and Mikel Bridges, Mikel Bridges perfect three and D guy we we touched on in the last episode, 
um, any any team would want him on their on their roster. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think the Suns are are the most equipped. Uh, their 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 fan base right now. The, those home games are are out of this world. Um, it, it's it's going to be so hard to go in into Phoenix and, and win a basketball game right now. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I've talked a lot about the Suns the last three episodes, of course. Um, but I think. I think to, to the other end of the question, who who's going to be affected the most in you know in a negative way with with Kawhi out and Donovan Mitchell? I think it's both teams. I mean, like Mike Conley still's not not played in the, in this series against uh, against the Clippers. So from a Utah perspective, having Mitchell and Conley out that or like Mitchell still might be playing, but not at a hundred percent. That's that's worrisome because uh, I remember back in round one, I was watching NBA The Jump and. You know, have your opinion on him from a from an analysis point of view. But Kendrick per- Kendrick Perkins was on, and he said if if Mitchell doesn't play the, this series or is playing hurt, he predicted the Memphis Grizzlies to beat to beat the Jazz with with a hobbled um, uh, Donovan Mitchell. So you know, if if the Memphis Grizzlies are getting picked to to beat Jazz, I I think the Suns would definitely blow by him. Um, if, if he is indeed playing hurt and Conley's not back, um, but yeah, like. Uh, Kawhi with the Clippers, uh, perfectly said about, about playoff P. Uh, who knows? I, I I can never trust this Clippers team, and and with an injured Kawhi Leonard, I don't think uh, I don't think they're going to make it out of the West. And I think the Suns are, are are right now clearly the favorite with and without Chris Paul. Aiden, I remember watching round one. Of course, I remember it. It was like three weeks ago. But I remember watching when Chris Paul was out for stretches with that shoulder injury, thinking that this team was just going to collapse in his absence. Obviously, we know Chris Paul is the playoff veteran, the ultimate floor general. And I thought without his poise and his veteran leadership, they were just going to fall apart. And I was completely wrong. You know, in big stretches without Chris Paul, campaign came in, did his job. Uh, Buffy mentioned D book did his thing. We've talked about it on a previous podcast. Uh, you know, Devin Booker's closeout game, 47 points. This team is just such a good cohesive unit that even when Chris Paul isn't around, you know, they're still able to get the job done against these really good teams in big playoff games. So I'd have to agree with both you guys. Uh, Buffy, I just wanted to go back to something you mentioned, and and that was about Kawhi and his injury. Um, Because I agree with you, even though a doctor clears you and he says you're okay to play, that doesn't mean that he's playing with the same explosiveness, same type of confidence. Maybe he's worried that if he moves the wrong way, his knee is going to buckle and it's all going to happen all over again. You said you could you know, speak from experience on this. Do you think, you know, an injury like that and coming back before you're maybe 100% healthy can take just such a toll on you mentally? And, and you know, are you not the same player that you were pre-ACL injury? Um, well, just thinking about the NBA comes to mind. Uh, 2019 Golden State Warriors, Kevin Durant, Right. We've seen what happens when you rush back from these things. And you can't tell me that the NBA in 2020 was a better league without him. It's the same thing. 2022 and the 2021-2022 season would not be better without a Kawhi Leonard in it. Um, Ultimately, guys, when you boil down to, and I think this is getting to more so the business side, you know, when you get pressure from front office saying, hey, this is our marquee guy, this is our franchise player, we're not pushing him, especially with something 
as detrimental to basketball players' careers as ACLs. Um, I mean, having been through two of them myself, these are year-long rehab things, right? It takes a lot of time to get that confidence, to get that movement, to get that explosiveness back. Um, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you look at a player like Kawhi, um, it would 100% change his game, I think. And it really depends on what kind of player he'd come back as. Um, it, it really just kind of depends. I mean, it, it's kind of murky the way the Clippers have talked about in the media an ACL injury well is it a sprain because that's a week two weeks is it a partial tear you could play on a partial tear because they won't do surgery on a partial tear or is it a full tear there's it's kind of like a question mark what's actually happening with this so until we actually know I don't know what you know um, I don't know if I have a definite answer but um, you know at the end of the day those Clippers are hurting right now. Um, I mean, I, I just have to say this on a tangent because uh, um, Aiden mentioned a, a great point. Um, if as a as a, a newfound member of the the Suns fan club, um, if I'm if I'm a Phoenix Suns fan, if I'm a Phoenix Suns player or coach, who do I want to see in the finals in the Western Conference Finals? Then uh, Utah or uh, the Clippers? I want to see the Clippers, and here's why. Um, I think with, yes, the confidence book, uh, Bridges, Crowder, all those kinds of things, but I would rather see the Clippers because I think that that would be a really good series for DeAndre Ayton to show us what he's made of. They don't have anybody on that team that I think could guard him. Um, Utah obviously has three-time defensive player winner of the year, Rudy Gobert, an established uh, NBA uh, vet and defensive all-star. I just... Um, I just want to say that because if, if I'm if I'm the Suns, I want to see clips. Uh, I think I take my chances with playoff P and um, Pat Bev, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It really depends on how serious Kawhi's, in, uh, Kawhi's injury really is. I'd want to see the the Clippers as a Suns fan as well. First off, because the Suns are the two seed and the Clippers are the three seed or the four seed. Sorry, so the Suns first off would have home court advantage, whereas Utah moves on. That game seven possibly would be at a sold out uh, crowd in, in Utah. Um, so, of course, game sevens are so unpredictable, but um, having the home court advantage is huge, especially I just touched on my last point the, the, the atmosphere at the Suns games are out of this world right now. So, I think home court would, would be would be a huge advantage for the Suns. But, um, yeah, I think, uh, I mean, regular season means nothing now, but the Suns went two and one against Utah and the Clippers, but that literally means nothing um this is a whole different whole different season playoffs in the regular season but um yeah i as a suns fan i want to see i want to see the clippers especially if Kawhi leonard is is not 100 percent because like i said i i will never trust this clippers team uh i've have called them frauds on this broadcast on this podcast many times and uh if if they lose again i continue i will continue to call them frauds but um going back to the injury stuff i mean like if if you're if you're the Clippers front office, you've given everything for these couple of years. You've sold your entire future. You don't have a first round pick until 2027. You 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 traded everything for for Paul George. You have very very little trade assets. Like this is this is your moment now. This is this is who you have to win with, because if if this fails and all blows up, the Clippers are going to very quickly turn into the worst franchise in in, in the league. So um, you want. I think as as a front office, you want Kawhi playing, even if he's at 
70% just because like this is your moment like this Kawhi's a free agent at, at the end of this year like I, I I do think he he resigns with the Clippers but you don't know that so th- th- this is everything right now for the Clippers and you know I, I expect them to go, to go uh, you know full throttle and, and Kawhi to be playing uh in, in the third round if they do get there um but yeah it's gonna be uh it's gonna be fun to watch for sure we're gonna take a quick break when we come back uh, we're going to get into our NBA unpopular opinions. And after that, we are going to redraft the best individual players that you would want going into the next season. That's all coming up. Stay with us. And we're back. We're getting into some NBA unpopular opinions. Uh, as I said at the beginning of the pod, they don't have to be about this season. It can be about any season, any team, any player in NBA history. Uh, I'll get us started here with my first. Buffy, you know that it wouldn't be me if I didn't start with a a LeBron take. Uh, And I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this. Because I don't know if it's going to be unpopular. You guys might agree with it. You might not. Uh, But let's see. 2011 was the only finals that LeBron should receive any blame for losing. So I'm just going to go through them pretty quickly here. Uh, Briefly touch on each of them. 2007. He was 22 years old. He willed a uh, Cavs team, a horrible Cavs team, arguably the worst finals team ever. Buffy, you brought up the 2001 Sixers. That team's definitely in the running. Uh, I think the 2018 Cavs also are. But horrible team. They come up against the Spurs dynasty kind of in their prime. They get swept. Uh, 2011 against the Mavs, that was his fault. LeBron underperformed. Uh, He put up eight points in that game five or six uh, that people still bring up to this day. 2014 against the Spurs, that Spurs team was one of the best, if not the greatest ball-moving team uh, that's ever played the game. Uh, They just, they're the definition of, you know, working as a unit. Kawhi Leonard won finals MVP that year, averaging like 19 points. Um, they won in five games. Uh, Dwayne Wade was a shell of his former self by this point, riddled with injuries. And I think a big part of that, uh, was why LeBron chose to leave, go back to Cleveland that summer, 2015 against the Warriors, LeBron James, uh, gets the six games by himself. Kevin Love goes out in round one against Boston when he, uh, gets his shoulder ripped out of its socket by Kelly Olynyk. Kyrie Irving goes down with a knee injury in game one. He doesn't return to the series. Um, LeBron averages 36, 13, and nine. Some people had him winning finals MVP 2017, 18. That was the Durant Warriors. In my opinion, the greatest teams of all time. Uh, give me the, give me that, that Warriors team, uh, over, you know, Jordan's Bulls, Magic's Lakers. I just think that team was perfect. In 2017, they went 16 and one. I don't think I don't think there's a better team out there. Uh, and, and especially in 2018, after Kyrie demands a trade, LeBron was, you know, basically by himself. He put up great stats in both of those series. So that's my little rant. I think 2011 is the only Finals that LeBron should receive blame for. Uh, Buff, I'll go to you first. Do you agree with me? What you got? Um, in terms of receiving blame on the 2011 uh, up against the Mavs, right? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I actually one of my questions or one of my points uh, in this segment was actually going to be that the 2011 Mavs is the most 
impressive rock playoff run to win a title in NBA history. I I don't know if you can really blame him because I think he just got outplayed. I think he got outplayed. I think he got outcoached. And I think that that 2011 team just had all the right pieces. I, In, in terms of LeBron, you know he's going to put up the numbers. You know he's going to put up the numbers. He's going to do what he needs to do to get his team uh, you know, over the hump. Um, I, I don't know if I could actually say that this one was LeBron's fault. I think he just got outplayed at the end of the day. Um, as, as great of a player he is, 1B to Michael Jordan's 1A in NBA history um, in terms of the GOATs. Um, I think, I think you just have to sit back and realize that this is a team game. It takes five. And I don't think that, uh, the 2011 heats five were better than the Mavs five. So, um, I'll actually, I'll actually say that I don't know if I necessarily agree with that one. Um, but in terms of maybe individual performances, when you look down the road, even at an older age, what he did to the Spurs, what he did to the Warriors, um, and what he did with the Lakers. Um, you know, why couldn't he have done those same things at a younger age? You know, over an aging Jason Kidd, an aging, you know, uh, Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, I don't know. Um, but I don't know. I don't, I just, I don't know. I just, I just think that that was more of a team thing and a coaching thing rather than putting on the shoulders of one player. And I think that might be the only time um, you might hear me defend LeBron James because I'll I'll finish my segment right now saying one of the main reasons I came on was to kind of throw a wrench in this malarkey of this LeBron James fan club that this podcast seems to you know revel in and I, I I'm here to shake things up because I don't say I wouldn't say I'm anti LeBron but I'm not uh, uh, I don't know if I'm as big of a fan of him as you boys are. If you would have told me before this podcast that Buffy would have came on and defended LeBron's 2011 finals performance, I would have said you're absolutely nuts. Uh, Just for reference, LeBron averaged just 17.8 points uh, a game for that 2011 series. Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade averaged more. And I just think that eight points in, in game five or six, I can't remember which one it was. I think it was game five in Dallas. You just can't do that when you're at LeBron James's level, and and he's never done that again. It was it was a one off for his career, but but I just think it's inexcusable. Aiden, uh, what do you think of my take? 2011 is the only uh, finals that LeBron should receive any blame for. Uh, is there any other that you think that you know falls a little on his shoulders? No, I agree with that list. I think uh, if you were to slander LeBron about a finals, I it would be 2011, um, but. Obviously, I wish LeBron and the Miami Heat would win that, and LeBron would have five NBA titles, and you know I wish that happened, but it didn't. But um, as an NBA fan, I think that championship for the Mavericks, you know, beating beating that 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 trio of LeBron, D Wade, and Chris Bosh, uh, and obviously Dirk Nowitzki winning, I think that is one of the one of the most you know deserving deserving. Um, titles I think and one of the most memorable for an individual as a player like Dirk I think that's one of the most meaningful in NBA history and I think I would I'd probably have that right behind uh, LeBron's 2016 performance you know bringing the championship back to Cleveland but um, I, I, I do think that uh, if, if you were to slander about about LeBron James and his 4-6 and six record in the finals it would be 2011 but, but that's it um, 
you know, th- those those teams that that LeBron ran into were were just straight up better than him. And Buffy, you touched on him. You touched on a good point. It, it's a team game, and yeah, you know, LeBron's been the best player in the world for you know this past decade at least, and. And uh, you know he's lost all these finals, but like he he's not beating he's not beating the Golden State Warriors 2018 2017 like that's just not happening. And and those, those Spurs you said Dorney the, the best if not the best ball movement team that the NBA has ever seen. So uh, obviously coached by by one of the greatest coaches as well uh, in, in in Popovich. Um, so I I don't know I, I think I think the, the I think the finals record uh, four and six conversation is is a stupid argument. I think. Uh, um, well, I don't think it. it's true. LeBron gets slandered because he lost in the finals, but if it, it, it's just such a knock on him, and I think it's dumb because 2018 he wills his way. They were a four seed, and he wills his way through the Boston Celtics, who were who were by far the favorite team in that series. And you know, you, you don't get you don't get slandered for winning three in a row and, and willing your team to an NBA Finals just to run into the 2018 Golden State Warriors. So. Um, I, I think I think the finals record argument is stupid, um, but yeah, I, I do agree that that 2011 is the one that uh, it go, goes against uh, LeBron's career because that eight point game is just inexcusable. Buffy, your first NBA unpopular opinion. What you got? Um, I'm undecided. I, I got three. So boys, uh, give me a number between one and three. Two. All right. Is the legend of Wilt Chamberlain overrated in a time when certain statistical categories were starting starting to be covered and starting to be tracked? Is his legend o- overrated? Keep in mind, he is a four-time MVP, but he was traded twice as the reigning MVP. He only has two NBA championships, right? And one of those, he was an MVP, the finals MVP. Is his legend overrated? This many years down the road. I, I know that when we see those top 10 lists, he's always in there. The 100-point game, uh, all the rebounds, his triple doubles, um, and being regarded as the most dominant big man potentially to ever play the game, arguably. But over time and the way the game has changed, has that legend dwindled? I think there's a couple things here. Uh, first of all, it's tough because obviously he played so long ago, right? It's a completely different era. Uh, one thing we see in all sports, not just the NBA, but all sports, is just how much bigger, stronger, faster, better nutrition, better training all these guys have. But with that being said, he was that much better than anyone else, uh, you know, without that training, without that nutrition, without all this modern technology. Um, but Buffy, it's funny you brought this up because I saw a video on Twitter the other day of Wilt running end to end on a basketball court, and he was running faster than the point guards. I think that this guy was a superhuman, a genetic freak. I think Wilt would have excelled in any generation he played in. Um, he would have adapted to the times. And quite frankly, I just don't, I haven't watched enough Wilt highlights, enough Wilt games, I think, to really accurately say whether or not the legend of Wilt Chamberlain is overrated or not. Uh, It is funny how, like, he has his 100-point games, but there's no proof, there's no record of it, it wasn't recorded. Uh, He is kind of, 
as the years go on, like this almost like mythical figure, like this giant 7-1 NBA super athlete freak who just dominated his era. It's tough to say how he'd stack up today um, and, 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 you know, whether it's overrated. So I think it's, it's up in the air. Aiden, uh, what do you have on this take? It's an interesting argument, and I think it's hard for for somebody like me. Uh, obviously, he played such a long such a long time ago. I of course never saw him play, and I've I've rarely seen rarely seen a lot of highlights of him. I've I've not seen a lot of game footage of Wilt. Uh, I can just straight up admit that. But I'm I'm just looking at, at some of his records. Like he he holds 68 NBA records by himself, and among his records are several that are considered unbreakable, such as averaging 22.9 rebounds for a career. Like that's that's insane. Fifty point four points per game in a season, uh, over an entire season. That's absurd. Hundred points that hundred point game, like you just touched on. Fifty five rebounds in a single game. Uh, he's he scored sixty five or more fifteen times. He scored fifty or more one hundred eighteen times. These 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 records will never be broken. Um, but I mean, it's it's just it. It's just I don't think it's an argument that I'm I'm best suited for to talk about. I just I, I just simply don't know enough about Will Chamberlain. Buffy, here's my question to you: If Will Chamberlain played today, he was born in you know 1994, and he was playing with the stars of today, with the training, with the nutrition, with the technology. Is he as dominant today as he was back then, or has basketball just evolved and have guys just gotten so much better overall that his his numbers wouldn't have been near where they were uh you know obviously adjusted to era but would have he not been quite as dominant as he was uh you know when he played uh, in terms of dominance i actually don't know and i don't mean to piggyback on the the old Shaquille O'Neal argument um but if he were playing today, if he were, you know, say, you know, in his mid-20s playing in the NBA today, I think it would be really hard for me to, for you to tell me that he wouldn't have fallen victim to being that seven-footer that has that outside touch, that can play that stretch four, that can play that game outside of the key and be, I guess, less dominant. You look at the big seven-footers of today and, and who would have even – I wouldn't even say anywhere close to the same level of athleticism, but would be comparable in body types. Joel Embiid steps out outside and play. Yes, can he play inside? Sure, but he likes to play outside, and I think that's probably the best in-league comparison right now. I don't know if he'd be as dominant because I think that the, the way the game is played, for him to be considered dominant, I just... I don't know if the game is shaped for dominant big men. And like I said, I don't want to use that old argument, but like I really do think that Shaquille O'Neal was the last dominating big man in, in the league in the sense of pure physical dominance with just his body of work. Um, Chamberlain was obviously born in the right era for his skills. Like you said, just an athletic freak. Uh, in, in terms of in terms of his size, his movement, his agility, uh, and all those things, but uh, if he were to play in today, I, I think that he would still follow that that uh, that style of FIBA, almost international play, where bigger guys are stepping away, floater games, uh, mid key games, high pick and rolls, getting them away from the hoop, uh, as opposed to just rim run, clang and bang down low, and and just dunk on someone. I 
I don't know. I mean, I mean, it kind of almost begs the question. I don't think we should get into it, but it kind of begs the question: What would you classify as big man dominance nowadays? I think you bring up a great point because the game has moved. You know, it's been moving further and further away from the big men being the focal point of the team as it was in the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. You look at probably, you know, three guys that have dominated this last decade, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, Kawhi Leonard. They're all versatile, uh, you know, small forward, power forward guys who can play multiple positions on the defensive end, can step out, can hit the three. Uh, and, and I just don't know if today's NBA, and you said it, Buff, isn't is is built for a body type like Wilt Chamberlain. So obviously it's impossible to say. Uh, we, we can't, you know, revive him and bring him back and play today, but it, it, it's definitely an interesting conversation. Uh, Aiden, do you want to give your first unpopular opinion? Yes, I'm, I'm excited to hear you guys' reaction about this. Um, Darnie, you know I've been critical on the New Orleans Pelicans organization and Zion Williamson, but my first my first unpopular opinion is John Morant is going to have a better career than Zion Williamson. What do you guys think? Buffy, do you want to start us off here? I saw you, uh, you know, you were giving me the fist pump. You're excited about this one. Yeah, it's it's interesting because one of one of the things I was thinking about bringing to the table was I thought that the hype around Zion Williamson uh, was a little bit overrated. Now, keep in mind, this year, did he really step in and put up some great statistical numbers for a second-year player? Um, yeah, he put up some really solid stats. But I, I look at it in terms of and I don't want to. I don't want to dwindle it down. But bigger player. This is why bigger players like power forwards and centers are never considered the greatest of all time, because they need someone to give them the ball. John Morant has the ball in his hands all the time. He can make that impact right off the get go. Zion isn't typically going to be the guy bringing up the ball. He's going to be the guy you're feeding. He's going to be the guy on the putback dunks. He's going to be the guy making the great highlights. Uh, in terms of this, I mean. Time will tell, and I really do wish Zion, um, you know, has a great career because I think that him having a great career is overall great for the NBA. But I just think there's something special about John Morant. He he reminds me of a honestly coming into the league. You think about it, he reminds me of a better shooting Russell Westbrook. That explosiveness, that energy, that speed. Um, you know, he has a tighter handle. And I and he has a better outside shot than Russell Westbrook, but I just see a lot of that same explosiveness. He he plays hard on both ends of the ball. Maybe MVP Rose. Um, as a in terms of like the purity of a point guard, no, I do what. Honestly, no, no, I. You'd have to give him a couple years uh, to see where he's at compared to that 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 MVP Rose year. I I think that that in in a singular season is as good as almost any point guard in NBA history has been. If you look at just a sample size of one NBA season, for NBA point guards, Oscar's best year, Magic's best year, CP3's best year. Like, I really think Derrick Rose had one of the all-time great point guard campaigns for, for a single season. I don't know if John Morant is quite there. Um, the game's also kind of evolved since, you know, Derrick Rose came into the league. But I, I, Aiden, I think in the long run, there's a long-winded way of saying it. I think I agree with you. 
I wasn't necessarily saying that, you know, Jaws on that Derrick Rose uh, MVP, you know, level, but just in terms of kind of a similar play style, both mm-hmm. super explosive guys, they're going to give you the highlight dunks. I think they can, you know, both step out a bit. Uh, you know, maybe we'll see John Morant get there one day, but, you know, he's not on that level yet. Um, you know, personally, I'd have to disagree with this one. If you asked me, before this season began, I think I'd say yes. Um, you know, Zion's injury concerns are definitely always going to be there. He he stayed pretty healthy this year. He played 61 games. But, you know, the way he plays off balance, jumping 35 inches in the air every possession, like for a guy at his size who's built like an NFL linebacker, can that body hold up? for a good 12, 14-year NBA, NBA career of dominance. Um, this year, averages of 27 points a game, seven rebounds, four assists on 61% shooting. I just think we saw so much in terms of the scoring, the efficiency. Teams couldn't figure out how to solve this guy, how to stop this guy at the rim, and I think he's only going to get better. Uh, I think he is that dominant. But... Jaw proved a lot this year, even in just that playoff game. Aiden and I mentioned it on the last podcast. Going into Oracle against Steph Curry and winning that play-in game for the right for the eight seed, it was very impressive, and he was very good. We saw him down the stretch. He was the guy who wanted the ball, no fear, in crunch time, hitting those big shots. Uh, and and you know, like we've mentioned, John Morant as a point guard, he has the ball in his hand. He can do that every single possession, whereas a guy like Zion Williamson, you know, he needs to be to be given that ball. I also think Zion's been been, you know, dealt a tough hand in New Orleans, a bit of a dysfunctional organization. He's about to be on his third coach in three years. I think him and Brandon Ingram are a very weird combo. Uh, you know, if he could get suited in a better situation, I think we could really see the dominance of Zion Williamson. Uh, Aiden, anything to add after our two points uh, before we move on here? Well, you guys summed it up really well. Um, but my my biggest concern for Zion is his body and his health. Zion plays so explosive. He's, he's a very fun player to watch. I'm not going to deny that. He's, he's a fun player to watch. Uh, how athletic he is for somebody, you know, 6'7", 285 pounds. Is, he's, a, he's a freak of nature. But he, at the same time, he's 285 pounds and and that, that's a lot of pressure on his knees going up and down all the time. I, I think, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't, I, I don't wish, I do not wish injury upon anybody. And I, injuries are the worst part about sports, but I just worry that, that Zion could, could possibly have, have a career altering injury one day. And that can of course happen with anybody. This can happen any play. It's, it's so injuries are so uh, unpredictable, but, I, I worry about it, uh, Zion's long-term health, uh, just the way that uh, his body is. Um, but John Morant, in th- this this playoff series, five games against uh, the Utah Jazz, averages thirty points per game, eight assists, and almost five rebounds. Dorney, you know my dad. Shout out Steiner Vic. He he's not he's not the biggest basketball guy. He's not the biggest basketball guy. Uh, we we can all agree on that. But we watch a lot of basketball. We watch a lot of first-round playoff matchups this year, and I watched every single Utah Jazz versus versus Grizzlies game. I watched every single one almost, you know, tip off to the last end of the game. And my dad was watching a lot with me. And he he was a guy watching John Morant and said, whoa, 
this guy is really good. And my dad doesn't do that a lot. Of, he does not say that about a lot of players. Um, so, you know, for somebody to catch to catch Steiner Vick's eyes in a playoff series, I think that's that's uh, that's that's pretty spectacular. And I think that uh, you know it just goes to show how good John Morant is. But you know, uh, John Morant's twenty one years old. Zion Williamson is twenty. Uh, it's it's so hard to predict what what these guys' futures have uh, ahead of them. Uh, if if remaining healthy, they have probably at least another 15, 16, even more years in the NBA uh, if their bodies remain healthy. And I hope that they both do because I think uh, an excellent John Morant and excellent and healthy Zion Williamson is is best for the NBA and the the future of the association. So, uh, you know, I I hope both players go on to have a a great career. Um, But uh, I, I personally see John Morant having a better career than Zion. Uh, Buffy, anything to add? Any last comments before uh, I get to my next unpopular opinion? Yeah, I just actually wanted to play oddly devil's advocate for myself. I think I sided with John Moran. But as you both were talking, the first thing kind of came into my head. Who in the league is a good matchup for Zion on defense? And it reminded me, honestly, guys, a little Shaq-esque. When he came into the league... And as he emerged, maybe not in 95, um, you know, when he was with the Magic and he took him to the finals against the Rockets, but more so towards his his Laker, it almost reminds me in that sense of, like, who out there in the league is equipped to guard this man? And in all honesty, I think that that's the best thing going for him. Yes, injuries aside, don't want to dwell on that, as you guys have said your piece on that. But thinking about it, who's out there equipped to guard this man? And I don't think anybody in the league is actually having a body of work defensively that can really contain him. So I think, you know, he could have a, a fantastic career based on that solely, that there's no one in the league that I think can contain him physically, very similar to like Wilt, like Shaq, like these very, like LeBron, even just the, their physical dominance on without even talking about their skill. So, I mean, I just it just came to mind. I felt like I just had to say it almost playing devil's advocate to myself because I don't know if there's a man in the league that's that's equipped to guard him. I mean, I mean, like you said, if we could go back 20, 30 years, I would have liked to see him and Charles Barkley go back, you know, go at it because those two guys, that's the player comparison when he came into the league. Well, I said he's like a more athletic round mound of rebound. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know. The league better figure it out quick. That's a great point, Buff, and I think we saw that time and time again here in the regular season. Teams just couldn't figure out how to stop him, what to throw at him, who to throw at him. We talked about, I mentioned he's like a linebacker, and he really is, and we don't have another guy that I think is even comparable to that in the league. So I think teams just struggle how to defend him, who to put on him. You know, do you put a big, strong wing defender on him? Do you put, you know your big defensive center on him. It's tough because he can beat you with speed and size. I just think he's a bad matchup for anyone in the league. Um, Moving on here, my second unpopular opinion. Uh, I didn't want to do another LeBron one, but after I wrote out my first one, this one came to mind, and I think this is an even better one. And it doesn't just have to do with LeBron. It has to do with teams. But something I often hear is, you know, oh, Durant joined a super team. Well, so did LeBron. So my take is LeBron's super team with Miami isn't comparable to Durant joining the Warriors. And here's why. So LeBron James uh, in 2010 joined a Miami team that had almost been swept in the first round, lost in five games, and and 
they had 50, less than 50 wins in the regular season. Bosch joins the team as well. He was not a part of that team, part of that system. They have to build this team up from the ground together. And I think a lot of people forget uh, that Heat squad with LeBron, with Bosch, with, with Wade, began their first year with a record of 9-8. and eight. It took them a while to figure it out because this was a totally new team, totally new system, uh, trying to figure everything out. Uh, on the contrary, Kevin Durant joins a 73-win team. And for those of you don't, who don't know, that is the best regular season record in NBA history. Uh, on top of that, Kevin Durant loses to the team he joins in the Western Conference Finals after blowing a 3-1 lead to them. And, and you know, the performance that stands out to me was Game 6 in Oklahoma City uh, at home where Durant shoots 10 for 31, uh, was really bad down the stretch, turnovers, missed shots. Uh, and then the Warriors were one win away from winning the Finals. Um they, they were up 3-1 to the Cavs, and I think some stuff goes their way. Draymond doesn't get suspended. Andrew Bogut doesn't get hurt, and they probably win the title that year. So Durant kind of slides seamlessly into a system that's already built, basically just taking Harrison's Bar Harrison Barnes's spot, whereas LeBron, sure, he goes and teams up with two of these guys, but you know they had to build that chemistry, create that team. None of that foundation was there for LeBron like it was for Durant. Uh, Aiden, I'll start with you. What are your thoughts on this take? Uh, could you compare Durant, the Durant super team to that LeBron super team in Miami? No, it's. I think this is no offense to, 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 to mine or Buffy's question, but I think this is the best one so far. I think this is... Uh... This is perfectly said. Uh, you know how, how I feel about Kevin Durant. Uh, don't like him. Don't like what he did. Uh, and that, that game six performance where he shot 10 for 31. Obviously, uh, uh, Golden State wins that game five. You know, they were up 3-1. OKC Thunder were up 3-1 to one on, on, on that Warriors team. And then, um, so yeah, they're up 3-1 they're up on that Warriors team. They, they lose game five. They lose game five at Oracle. But then... Game six, back, back to your home floor, you got to win it. And your best player shoots 10 for 31. So um, uh, I, I don't think it's it's comparable at all. Um, yeah, uh, the the Golden State Warriors were 73-9. I think the best team, uh, well, the best regular season that the NBA has ever seen, even even better than the than the Chicago Bulls who went 72-10. Um, but, uh, yeah, Kevin Durant just, you know, very uh, – not, I don't know. Very cowardly. I'm just gonna say it. Very cowardly. He he slides in into Golden State and uh, the best team ever, and and uh, you know he 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 wins two two rings in Golden State, seventeen eighteen. That uh, I don't I don't really care much about. I mean, the, his two rings are nowhere even cl even close. Yeah, like you you can never deny rings are rings. And Kevin Durant is is a two time Finals MVP. Uh, you know he he played he played so well in those series against uh, LeBron and the Cavs. But, uh, yeah, I think this, this argument is not, not even close. Uh, the comparisons aren't even close. Uh, Buffy, you know I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this one. You've talked about how you're going to come in here and kind of, you know, shut down a little bit of our LeBron, uh, our LeBron love. So I'm very interested to hear where you go with this. What are your thoughts on this take? Well, I know I kind of knocked your socks off the first time almost defending LeBron and that old adage that a broken clock is right twice a day. Not this day. I am against LeBron James in this, and here's why. 
this has nothing to do, in my opinion, this has nothing to do with records, stats, anything, but it actually has to do with something that I think, in a sense, is just the way the game is perceived now, and I actually think it kind of ruins the league a bit, is optics. You have LeBron James, who reaches out to Dwayne Wade, Chris Bosh, his fellow 2003 draftees, this old boys club-esque kind of optics of it, and says, hey, we can't get it done alone. I mean, Wade did with Shaq, but we can't get it done. Let's join up together. And then you have Durant, who's joining. I understand what you're saying. 73-9, and nine, all this and, and, and everything. But I feel like the Warriors as a team got a lot of flack and got a lot of, you know, a lot of heat um, on them. But we gotta we got to keep in mind, guys, what the Warriors became in 2015, 2016, until Durant came there, they built it the right way. They did it through draft drafting. They didn't recruit guys. They didn't, you know, ask guys to go out during free agency and, you know, work out with your buddies and get them over here. They did it the right way. Now, at the end of the day, I, I think for me, I just look at LeBron going out to Wade and Bosch and, and form this team. And yes, they had to build around the team, but it's the optics of it. Not one, not two, not three. Jesus. Like, it's just, okay, we get it. You guys are three great players in the league, and you joined up, and you're making a big spectacle of it. The decision, right? It's the optics of it. It's it's some of those things that have contributed uh, to, I think, LeBron James being the most hated athlete in probably the last 15 years. And, and I'll, I'll say this, mostly undeservedly so, okay? But in terms of comparing the Heatles to what the Warriors did... I, I just think the optics of it for the uh, for the NBA and the optics of it for the Heat were much worse. And so I, I think I'd probably side on, on, on the Warriors. I mean, yes, Aiden, those two rings for KD are, you know, highly contested and highly invalidated by a lot of the general public. But I also think it's kind of funny, too, that Curry and Thompson and Draymond and Kerr and the rest of that company also won two rings. But nobody contests the fact, like, oh, Curry's a three-time champion. And everyone's like... Yes, he's a three-time champion. They don't say, well, he's really only a one-time champion, and those other two are kind of asterisked. I think Kevin Durant took a lot of hate, and I think he took a lot of flack for his decision, but it was a free agent decision. It's not like Curry and Thompson and Draymond and Kerr went out there and recruited them. He just decided to go there. Now, you know, we can talk about that till, till the sun comes up, but in my opinion, uh, I just... I just didn't like the LeBron heat, um, you know, decision, the parade, all that kind of stuff. Um, no, thank you. 73 and nine. Don't care. Um, at the end of the day, you still got to, you know, go out there and win games and win championships. Um, and I just, I just thought that the way the heat did, it was just too showboaty and not one, not two, not three, not four. How about just two? How about we just yeah. stay at two? All right, LeBron. Um, and, and, and yeah, so I just. I think you brought up some valid points for sure. Uh, let's start with the decision. 
LeBron, I think, had good intentions behind it. You know, he did it for the Boys and Girls Club. It was a charity thing. But you're right, the optics weren't good. And there's a reason why when he went back to Cleveland that second time, he did a quick little, he did a letter to Cleveland, no public appearance. He didn't even, you know, go on a show and announce it. He kept it very low-key. I think he grew up a bit and realized Eh, that probably wasn't the best idea. The old, I'm taking my talents to South Beach. I agree, not a good look. That intro, you know, stage thing, not one, not two, not three, where they're all dressed up in their heat uniforms, super corny. I agree. They are making themselves the villain even more than they already were before they did all that. Completely, completely agree. The other point you brought up was about the Warriors, how they did it right. They definitely did. Uh, Bob Myers and whoever else was involved in building that organization, you know, taking Steph Curry, the player, you know, one of the best players of this generation at, I think it was ninth overall, you know, taking Clay Thompson later in the lottery, taking Draymond Green in like what the second round, like they built that. We talked about David Lee, uh, Buffy and I did before this podcast started. <clears throat> you know, they've just had good free agent signings, good moves, and that 2015 championship that they won together, and then that 73-9 and nine season, uh, you know, I hated them at the time, but looking back, I you got to respect them for that. So when I say that, you know, this move was terrible, I am talking solely about Kevin Durant. Steph Curry, Steve Kerr, Clay Thompson, the rest of the Warriors – I think they're excused. It's just on KD. That's the part that I hate. Him being a top two, top three player in the NBA and joining such an established powerhouse in the NBA, it just it, it turns my stomach the wrong way. Aiden, any final thoughts before we move on here? Yeah, I wanted to, to touch on, on some of the points that Buffy made. Um, you know, I, I agree with some stuff they said uh, and what Devin just agreed with as well. The optics, the, the one, the two, the three. I didn't like that, and I, I, I agree with everything you guys said about that. But that that the decision, you know, LeBron going going to going to Miami, that truly started the player empowerment movement that we see in in the in today's NBA. LeBron started it, um, and I think that's that 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 moment, the decision is going to be a key piece in NBA history. Just the way that that you know players really really control their own fate, really. Um, but <clears throat> I mean. The thing that just really bothers me the most about this is I, I talked about it. Kevin Durant is up 3-1 in the third round to this Golden State team. They blow the 3-1 lead. And then, uh, you know, the Warriors are, are, are you know, infamous for, for blowing the 3-1 lead to LeBron. But nobody talks about how Kevin Durant and OKC Thunder blew a 3-1 lead to that Warriors team. And then, of course, you have Draymond crying in the car asking for KD and, and KD joins. Um, but... I th I think uh, a, a part of me that, that that just you know turns me the wrong way is that that 2017 season if Kevin Durant's not on that team, do that does that Cavaliers team win? Does LeBron have another ring? Who knows? That that's a question that that'll never be answered. But I think I wanted to ask uh, a question to you, Buffy, about about the point you made. What did you expect LeBron to do in 2010? Did you expect him just to stay in Cleveland after that 2010 season? He needed to get out. It it, it was clearly best for for his career to get out of Cleveland and, 
you know, obviously he's from Akron, right, right down the road from Cleveland. He's a hometown kid. And of course the, the, the fans would, you know, the fans hated LeBron for leaving, you know, that, that first game back in, in 2011, when the Miami goes to Cleveland for the first time, fans are throwing batteries at LeBron James. They're throwing beer cups, beer cans. It, it was, it was one of the most, uh, you know, one of the most games in NBA history that, that that's had the most security. Um, but one of the most anticipated regular season games ever, but, what what did you expect LeBron to do? He had to leave. Uh, well, I feel like I'm at I, I feel like I'm a, uh, I'm playing an away game, like I'm coming on the home court. Uh, but I'm here for it, and I'm gonna start this uh, rebuttal off with declaring hypocrisy to both of you. Uh, my question is, what do you expect Durant to do? He just lost three one down to uh, to the war. He just lost three one to the Warriors. He it is very evident. James Harden has moved on. It is very evident that him and Russell Westbrook can't get it done. He can't get it done without somebody else. Westbrook is not that guy. And don't I, I'm not going to talk about Westbrook. But my question to you also then be, what what do you expect out of him? LeBron had I think I think we can all agree after that 2007. I think the Cavs as best they could because the Cavaliers Cleveland is not an endearing market to play in. But Cleveland made a more concerted effort to put pieces around LeBron up to that point. More of an effort than Danielle Marshall's, Junis Agalskis, and Booby Gibson. That's all I'll say. But I just think it's a little bit funny. Like, what did you expect Durant to do? Stay there and just stay in the second and third round like like a Chris Paul Clippers? Now, I, I know you want to say something, but I have to come back to you here, uh, Devin, about what you said. Like, well, it's different because Kevin Durant's a top two or three player. How about LeBron in 2010 already usurping what I think was in the mid-2000s? Kobe Bryant is the best player in the league and has officially established himself as the best player on the planet. How about the best player on the planet not the second or the third how about the best player on the planet going and seeking another top five player arguably at that time Dwayne Wade and another top 10 potentially top 12 player in Chris Bosch so you say oh Durant goes and or Durant goes and joins a, a top 15 player and a top five player in Curry and, and, and Thompson how about the best player unanimously in the world going and joining another top five player and potentially another top 10 player in Chris Bosch. Uh, I get what you're saying, but like I say, say, I declare. I see where you're coming from, Buffy. Uh, I guess my counterpoint would, again, going back to what I first said about how LeBron joined that team uh, that wasn't built. Him and Chris Bosch, you know, joined the Miami Heat after a first-round sweep, they won less than 50 games. Uh, they had to build that culture, build that system up. Whereas Durant literally joined the team that just lost in Game 7 of the Finals, and the year before that, they won it. So I'll make this analogy. What Kevin Durant did would be like if LeBron James lost to the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Nay, blew a 3-1 lead to the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals and then decided, oh, you know what? I'm going to join Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, Paul Pierce after they just lost Game 7 of the Finals. I'll just fit right in here. They've already got, you know, their rotations, everything set up. You know, I'll just take Jeff's green spot and just kind of join this team. 
My whole point at the beginning was LeBron had to build that team up way more than Durant had to, you know, there was already a culture there. There was a system in place. There was already a winning formula. He just inserted himself and just played basketball. I wanted to say one quick, one quick thing, but Devin kind of touched on it there. Um, what do I expect Kevin Durant to do? Not blow a three-one series lead and join the seventy-three-nine Golden State Warriors. That, that, that's all. I, that's he, he choked three-one lead and then he joins uh, the, the best team ever, regular season team ever. But I mean, you know, it's been a lot of basketball, and you know, I know we have, we have some hockey fans on on this podcast, but um, I, I'm gonna just kind of going to kind of compare it to this imagine Connor mcdavid and the edmonton oilers going to the third round in the west losing losing up 3-1 and then they blow a 3-1 series lead to the colorado avalanche and Connor mcdavid joins nathan mckinnon gabriel lanskog miko rantanen and and the and the colorado avalanche They're like that, that's a fair comparison in my opinion because they're already established they're that's already a, established yes. nathan mckinnon is i think he you know he, he's, he's a top five NHL player. Dwayne Wade was, was a top five NBA player at the time um, for, for, uh, for Miami. And then uh, Steph Curry was, was unanimous MVP that year. Um, I, I, I think that, I think that's a fair argument, but just, just imagine Connor McDavid leaving the Oilers to go blow after they were, they blew a three, one series lead, go and join Nathan McKinnon and company in Colorado. I, I don't know that. I think that's a fair comparison. Buffy thoughts. I just look at it and say, you, you know, you, you could go back and say, well, the what if is, or what Durant should have done is not blown a 3-1 lead. Well, the or, uh, the Warriors wouldn't have blown a 3-1 lead. Uh, the Celtics would have beat the Lakers in, in 2010 if they could. And every team would have done what they could have done to win every championship in history if we want to play the what if game. I'm talking about, like, and, and this is genuinely a question I don't want to drone too long on this segment, but um, honestly... Look at the options out there as a highly attractive free agent in Durant. What options do you have? Go back to OKC, run it back, potentially get back to the Western Conference Finals, and not get past the Warriors again. What do you do? Do you jump ship, go east coast and to the east side and think, okay, well now I got to go against LeBron. And, and to his credit... Players stayed away from the East uh, from the Eastern Conference because they knew that they had to go through LeBron. Okay, but what I'm saying is, when you're a free agent and you just have the, the choice is yours, right? I I don't know what else he had knowing that it was now a league where you need three guys to get it done. You need three guys to get it done. And I'm not even going to come back to the Heatle saying that they established that. I really do think that the uh, I really do think that arguably even the Spurs, even though they did it right, or the Boston Celtics uh, established that, that you needed three guys, not just two anymore. Um, but I just, I'm not saying what Durant did was great, but I don't understand what other option he did. If it was that detrimental to the league, why didn't the league pull a, you know, veto Chris Paul to the Lakers? Why didn't they step in and do something along those lines if it, if, if it was going to be this big of a deal? Well, I don't know. I just look at LeBron and and Wade and and two and just I just want to touch on two. Yes, it'd be similar to LeBron going to the Celtics, but the difference is and the main difference is is that Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh were in the prime of their careers. Were in the prime of their careers during that Heatles uh, run and dominance in the in the East. 
the Boston Celtics disbanded those guys because they were all at their 13, 14, 15th year in the league. I don't think it's the same, but I get what you're saying. Um, I just, I just don't think Durant is as villainized. I just, as a personal preference, don't like the optics around LeBron and the heat um, compared to Durant and the Warriors. There, it was a lot quieter. And, and I think for me, that's just, that's just the main thing. I think I'm going to touch last thing I'm going to say about this. Um, you talk about personal preference. This is my, perf- my personal preference. You talk about, you know, what would Kevin Durant do in this situation? I, you asked, do they run it back? I think as, as an athlete, as a competitor, I would be pissed off that, that, that you blew a three, one series lead. And I'd be like, we were up three to one on this team. Damn right. Let's run it back. We, they were good enough. I think, he could have done that easily, but you know, obviously, what happened happened, and I don't agree with it. But I think, just as a competitor and an athlete, uh, that that just really would have pissed me off that that I blew a three-one lead to that team and say we were good enough to beat them. Obviously, we didn't do it. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's all I'm going to say about it. I, I, we've talked about this long enough. Hey, and that's a great point. They were good enough to be up three-one on the seventy-three win Warriors in LeBron's last year in Cleveland before he left for Miami. Uh, Cleveland had made a last-ditch effort to get LeBron help by recruiting a 49-year-old Ben Wallace to start alongside him. That Cleveland management couldn't get him any help whatsoever. But I think, you know, there's good points on both sides. I agree with a lot of the stuff you said, Buffy, and uh, and I think we can agree to disagree on this one because, because you know, there's arguments to be made on both sides. Uh, here we are. On minute 50 of this segment, we've already went 42. I don't think we're going to have time for much more here. Uh, Buffy, as the guest, I'm going to leave it up to you. Would you like to do another one of your uh, unpopular opinions to wrap up the show? Or should we all very quickly go through our top 10 list of best players from this 2021 playoffs? Totally up to you as the guest. Um, I'll, uh, I would say let's do top 10 and just give me the nod if you want me to start and just rattle through my top 10. Okay. So once again, for the, for the listeners, um, this is based on the 2021 playoff performance individual, not team. And this would be, if you could start the 2021, 2022 playoffs, um, drafting a player based on their performance, guaranteeing that that team would then make another playoff appearance. Uh, where would I start? Um, Drafting number one, not as not even a question. I'm drafting Kevin Durant. Um, coming at a contested two, three draft picks, I would go Kawhi, then Luka. Coming in at the fourth pick, I'm picking Joker. Fifth, I'm coming Booker. Six, I'm coming for Embiid. Seven is Dame Lillard. Eight is Mitchell. Nine is Harden. And ten, I actually had a really tough time. Um, uh, balancing between uh, Tatum or Young, but I'll go either. Um, and I did have uh, LeBron as my 13th and uh, Anthony Davis as my 12th. You'd rather have Anthony Davis next year to go into a postseason run with than LeBron James? Uh, I think, honestly, and, and you guys as LeBron homers can't even deny that we've officially seen, I think, what is now the decline of LeBron. Don't get me wrong. Assists and numbers are, are going to be great, but I, I don't NBA is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I really think that load management is going to be a, a thing in LeBron's career for the first time. Can can his team get him in a position where he, he can handle a playoff run 
with playing many minutes to get his team to that championship level at this point in his career, it's questionable. We, we saw that that ankle injury really affected him. He did not look like LeBron of old in these, in these playoffs. And uh, because of that, I, I don't want to gamble on a 38-year-old LeBron and a very injury-prone Anthony Davis. Um, that's why they kind of fell down the list where they did. I'll just, I'll just leave it on this, guys, as you guys go. There's no question that the new generation and the new NBA stars are here. It's a great point, Buffy, and uh, it's something Aiden and I touched on last podcast. This has really been a breakout season, postseason for all these young guys, and it's and it's so exciting, I think, to all of us NBA fans, just kind of watching this next generation come up. You know, the Jason Tatum's, the Devin Booker's, the John Morant's, the Donovan Mitchell's, all those guys. Um, I'll quickly fly through my list here. Uh, again, we're talking about if you can go into next year's season with any of these guys and you're a GM and you have these picks, who would you go with? Uh, number one, KD, I agree. He may be the best scorer I've ever seen, and I didn't watch Michael Jordan play. I think he is the best scorer I've ever seen. He's seven foot. He can get a shot over anybody. He can get to the bucket. He can just score in so many ways. It, it's it's really unbelievable, and we saw that firsthand in game five against the Bucks. Number two, I'd still go LeBron. And, and, here, and here's my reasoning for it. So... I think a big part of the Lakers' struggles this year were the fact that LeBron missed so much time, AD missed so much time, they didn't have a chance to establish that chemistry. The Lakers were something like 22-6 and six before LeBron got hurt. He was in the lead for MVP conversation. He was just a couple months removed from winning his fourth NBA championship, uh, fourth finals MVP, and... Yeah, he definitely wasn't 100% with that ankle. Me making this pick is betting on that the majority of his playoff struggles this year were one, his lack of reps, and two, that ankle, and it's going to heal. Is that ankle going to heal? I don't know. And is LeBron going to be in a place at 38 years old where he's going to dominate a finals like we've seen him time and time again? I don't know. But this is a bit of a homer pick because I am – crossing my fingers that he comes back and he is at least somewhat of the LeBron James that we saw even in the 2020 playoffs in the bubble. Uh, so I'm going LeBron at two. Number three, Kawhi Leonard, uh, a two-way freak. Not much to say about him. We all know what Kawhi can do. Uh, four, I'd go Luka. Five, I'd go Joker. Six, I'd go Giannis. Seven, I'd go Harden. Eight, I'd go Lillard. Nine, I'd go book, and ten, I would go AD. Uh, Aiden, let's hear your list. Okay, my list. I have Kevin Durant first. Uh, we've talked about him plenty this episode, um, but yeah, his performance this playoffs has been out of this world. And with you'd be stupid not to take Kevin Durant number one. Second, I have Luka Doncic. Um, sorry, Devin, I don't have LeBron second, but he's on this list. Um, Luka Doncic. He's, he's, we, we've talked about him, I think it was two episodes ago, maybe last episode, but I'm not going to touch on it again, but he he's the future of the NBA. Third, I have, I have Jokic, MVP this year. Uh, he, absolute unicorn, as we've talked about again before. Um, but Jokic, uh, terrific season this year. Uh, he, he really played well in the playoffs, I think, but um, he, he's just he's just a generational talent. Uh, we've never seen anybody like him. Um, four, I have LeBron at number four. Um, Buffy, you're shaking your head, but to 
my my argument here, what what wasn't really touched on uh, from both you guys was, yeah, he was 36 years old this year, but before he was hurt, he was number one in MVP voting. Um, if 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 that ankle's healthy, this is going to be the longest off season that LeBron's ever had. Who knows if that ankle is going to be 100% next year? If, if it is, I would agree, Buffy. This is a decline of LeBron. If it, if it, if he's not 100% next year, he's going to be 37, 38 years old, and who knows what's going to happen. But he was at 36. He was number one in MVP voting ahead of Jokic, ahead of Embiid, ahead of Chris Paul, ahead of back-to-back Giannis. Um, so if healthy, longest offseason LeBron's ever had. I'm as a LeBron fan, I'm I'm still gonna have hope for next year. Um, five, I have Kawhi Leonard. Uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard's Kawhi Leonard. Uh, six, I have Devin Booker, my guy. Seven, I have Giannis. Eight, I have Damian Lillard. Um, nine, I have Trey Young, and ten, I have Jason Tatum. Uh, I wrote some honorable mentions. I had Donovan Mitchell, James Harden, Joel Embiid, Bradley Beal. No particular order. I just wrote them down. Um, but, yeah, that is my 10. Uh, we, we definitely ha- had some different opinions, but I think they were all pretty solid lists. What do you guys think? Buffy, I, I know you have a lot you want to comment on from Aiden and I's list. Um, but let me just say this. We talked about it on our last podcast. The Lakers were up 2-1. to one on the Phoenix Suns, up 11 points at home in Game 4 before Anthony Davis goes down. And when he goes down, that whole series flips on his head, on its head. The, let's say AD never goes down. The Lakers end up winning that series. And then the Suns had had a very easy time with, with, uh, with Denver. And I'm not saying the Lakers sweep Denver, but let's say they also beat Denver and they're awaiting the winner of Clippers Jazz. You know, I honestly think that it's one AD injury away from LeBron being back to yet another Western Conference Finals. And, and you know, I don't think you'd have him that low at that point because I really think the Lakers would have hit their stride. LeBron would have hit his stride if he had his co-star, if they could run the regular systems, the regular plays through AD. Uh, you know, it just didn't happen. Injuries plagued the Lakers. KCP was another guy, another starter who was out big minutes in these playoff games. It just at at what point can you not overcome these injuries anymore? And I just think to write off LeBron, a guy who didn't play, you know, the whole second half of the season, he's missing his co-star who uh, you know, a ton of these plays run through, especially in late game situations. KCP, another integral guy to their championship team last year. He's in and out of the lineup. I just think it's quick to write him off. It's just my opinion. What do you think? I can understand where you're coming from in terms of writing him off. I mean, you made a comment a few minutes ago about, um, you know, the Lakers season was always an uphill battle because they didn't have time to get chemistry. I mean, what chemistry do they need? They basically retained everybody from their championship season. What chemistry do you need? And so I, I think that all the pieces are there. But at the end of the day, I mean, it is all conjecture. It's all, it's all you know, um, predictions and opinions and, and, and things like that. Um, no doubt that they were injured. But, you know, as we talked, unfortunately, injuries are the worst part of the game, but they are part of the game. Um, I mean, at, at this point of the year, I think, especially when it comes to playoffs, you know, he goes his social media, you know, blackout and he does all that kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, LeBron, you are tried and true. You are the self-proclaimed GOAT as per your 2016 championship. No excuses. 
No excuses. You're the quote-unquote GOAT. No excuses. You're coming off a championship team in arguably one of the greatest sports markets in the world. I'm sorry. I don't have a lot of sympathy for it. I think his ankle has... You know, I think it's I think it's like a crack in the ice. I think it's a crack in the ice, and I really hope that it's not where it doesn't spider and then there's more cracks. I really hope that he does stay healthy because uh, LeBron is great for the league. Any basketball person would be an idiot to say otherwise. Um, he is great for the league, but I just don't see him being that high considering that the emergence of the young stars that we see are here. I, I do want to make an addendum. I, I, I don't know why my list didn't have him, and I feel like an absolute idiot. Um, Giannis would definitely be somewhere in my top seven. I swear, listeners, I do know basketball. Um, I just don't know why I left Giannis off. And I also want to make another addendum. I think earlier I said that the Suns swept the Lakers. I think I was thinking of the Nuggets series when I said that. I know that they didn't sweep the Lakers. Once again, uh, I do know basketball. I'm not an idiot. Um, But I just figured I'd make that addendum because I'm like, they definitely didn't sweep the Lakers, but I think I said they did. I just... You want, and I'm not an anti-LeBron guy. I just have him that much lower because you you look at these guys, even at the bottom of that list, like Trey Young is doing a great job against these Philly Sixers. Like Boston got out early, but Jason Tatum's walking in here, dropping 50 in playoff games. Like he's ready. He's up next. He's probably one or two solid pieces away from taking them to probably you know, one of the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. I just... I just think AD's too injury prone for the age that he is to to take the Lakers over the hump and I just I just see LeBron slowing down after this year. Yes, recovery he spends, you know, almost the most money in the world in terms of professional athletes on um recovery for his body. I just it sounds super corny and cliché, but father time is undefeated. And so uh he's great for the league, but I don't, I don't know if he's that guy to build around. Um, he needs more now ever than before to win. And so that's just where I stand on that. He does need more. Obviously, he's in, in the advanced stages of his career. Uh, I, I just don't want to write off the guy who I think is, is the GOAT. Aiden, before we wrap up, any last comments on this subject? No, I don't think I have any last comments on the subject. Uh, I do have a two-minute rant to go on that's not basketball. Um, so if you know if, if you guys have anything else basketball-related to talk about, go ahead. Do you? Okay. Um, so basketball's done. Um, last episode, I, I I talked a little bit about the Euro Cup soccer. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a two-minute rant about soccer. Um, it's not about the Euro. This is about the Team Canada national team. Okay. Team Canada national team, Team Canada men's, they just, they just, uh, they didn't qualify for the World Cup. They're in the, they're in the 2022 World Cup qualifiers, and they are in the, uh, the final eight. This is the first time they've ever advanced in 24 years. It's the first time in 24 years that Team Canada men's team has advanced to, to this final eight stage, and they're going to play 10 games, uh, to, to qualify for the 22 World Cup, and, uh, you know, the top four make it, but just, so this is this is the best Team Canada men's team that we've seen in, in 24 years. Um, I, I said last episode, Alfonso Davies from Edmonton, best left back in the world from Edmonton. Edmonton's hosting the 2026 World Cup. Canada is, of course, the host in that. We need to grow the game, and these games are not being broadcast on television, and that and that's that's really bugging me. In order to watch the, these these Canadian games, 
you need to subscribe to 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 something called the One Soccer. Uh, One Soccer is just is just a it's it's a small little company that broadcasts the all the Team Canada games uh, and just a couple like small tournaments around the world. It's not a very high prestige, uh, high prestige, uh, you know, kind of broadcasting co- uh, company. But but you have to pay for it. You have to subscribe to it. These games need to be on TSN and Sportsnet. And, and yes, of course, you have to pay for TSN and Sportsnet. But if you, if you have cable, you have you have TSN and Sportsnet. These games need to be on television. Um, you need to grow the game in Canada because you know soccer does take take a huge backseat. It's 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 without it's without a doubt the, the biggest and best sport in the world worldwide. Um, but in Canada, it needs to grow, especially leading up to the 2026 World Cup. Um, but these games need to be televised, and it really pisses me off because I would love to see them, but nobody is, is going to subscribe to One Soccer. I'm sorry, nobody's going to do it. Um, but shout out to Team Canada men's team. Um, but yeah, TSN or Sportsnet. These these games need to be televised. That's our program. Just before we sign off here, Buffy. Uh, it was a pleasure. We had a lot of fun doing this. I believe this is our longest episode ever, uh, which I'm definitely not complaining about because it, it's it's went so quick. I feel like we could sit here for another three hours and just keep just keep spitballing here. But uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, it, it was a blast. Oh, thanks for having me, boys. I really enjoyed it, and uh, you know, uh, I really hope that maybe we can you know talk more hoops in the future. Um, if you guys want to talk hockey, find somebody else. Uh, but uh, if you guys want to talk more hoops, uh, my summer schedule is pretty open. This was fun, Buffy. Uh, there's definitely going to be around two, around three, around four. Not one, not two, not three, not four. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but no, this was so much fun. I uh, can't wait to do another one. Yeah, you you said I could talk here. I could sit here for four more, three, four more hours tonight and just talk hoop, talk basketball. Um, this is, this is so much fun. Um, yeah, this has been a blast. Thanks everybody. Uh, thank you everyone for joining us. Uh, again, we, Aiden and I appreciate all your support. Uh, we're having a ton of fun doing this. I feel like we're just hitting our stride and, and we can't wait for what the future holds. Um, we don't know when episode 12 will be, but we're sure it's coming your way soon. That's our show. Thanks so much for listening. Peace out.